0: In a foundation of faith. Didn't get your card. They left without you, Sean. Yeah, that's fine. They took off. Thank you, Chuck. Well, God is good. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> if you got your Bibles, we're going to start in 1 Samuel today. A little bit of the Old Testament. We are excited. We're going to be in uh, the Old Testament and Kings here next week. Uh, starting with our On the Dock series, and we're going to go through the story of Elijah and Elisha, learn a lot of principles of what God was doing then and what he's still doing today. And we're excited about that. So we're going to be in 1 Samuel 22, and I just took my marker out, so I have to find it here. But I, I titled this message, We Are a Village. And I really got the idea from a shirt that Ruth and Sean and I think several people in Children's Lantern had purchased from a woman who was adopting kids, and so she was doing a t-shirt fundraiser, and you bought this shirt, and it says, we are a village, and basically that meant that all of us are coming together to support uh, this family so that they can raise this child up in the way that they should go, and of course, when they're old, they will not depart from it. And so they sold these shirts, and it says, we are a village, and I was going to wear that shirt today, but Ruth wouldn't, it wouldn't squeeze over my shoulders, and then when I did get it on, there was this little section showing right here. That hung out, and um, so I decided not to wear it. Instead, I wore this shirt, and then I got syrup on this shirt, which I thought was an excellent opportunity to talk about how wonderful our cafe is. And if you want pancakes, they have them this morning because they're on my shirt. So you should know that the uh, syrup, the syrup, my beard did not do its job this morning in catching the syrup as it came down. But uh, so there was that. We are a village. And I was watching a TED Talk, and, and I love the TED Talks. I've said that before. Uh, I enjoy listening to them as well as I enjoy uh, listening to several different people's sermons and stuff online. I do that on a regular basis. But I was watching a TED Talk by Justine Bloom, and she had talked about empowerment and this idea. It's called Empowerment, It Takes a Village. And, and it, was such, it was such a neat perspective because she was talking about how she was deceived basically by the world, and she bought into this idea that empowerment came from independence, self-reliance, and control. And so she had fought her entire life for those things, and she got into the place where she was making six figures, and she was a public figure, and she was um, at A-list parties, and she had a really nice home, really nice car, all of those things. And at 24 years old, uh, she realized that she was pregnant And that she was going to be a single mom. And she said after she had her baby, she threw out all of those ideas. She said she realized at that fork in the road, that if she really wanted to accomplish all the things that she wanted to do, if she wanted to be effective as a mother, if she wanted to be effective as as a working woman, if she wanted to be effective as a person, that she had to have other people involved. And that it took a village to help her be the woman that she wanted to be. And I absolutely love that story, because I think all of us have bought into that at some point, and we have to at some point, we have to shift our minds a different direction, don't we? We have to go from, I'm independent, self-reliant, and in control, to I have to relinquish some control. I have to relinquish some of my independence and my self-reliance. To go to a different level, which is all about interdependence. That's what Stephen Covey calls it in the seven habits of highly effective people. He calls it interdependence. Where, listen, you're dependent on me for something, and I'm dependent on you for something. That we need each other to really be effective. And I love this perspective because Jesus understood this in the New Testament. Immediately when he starts his ministry, what does he do? He grabs 12 dudes to go along the ministry with him. And we're going to look at a different guy in the Old Testament, David, who was this powerful. I love David because David was a very, very flawed individual. And if you read the story of David, he made a lot of mistakes, both as king and as a person. But he had this repentant heart where he would go before God and and God would just change his, his path. And it was amazing what he would do. But he was in this time of struggle and trials and issues, and he did the same thing. He drew all of these men unto him, and I want to talk about this. See, because here's what we have, right? We know that independence, self-reliance, and control lead us to loneliness and exhaustion. Don't they? I mean, am I the only one that this happens? If you try and do everything yourself, it leads to exhaustion and loneliness, if you try and build yourself, if you, if you try and make it all on your own, do everything on your own, it, it's, just, it's just tiring. It's tiring. And one of the reasons we're talking about this today is because we really want to talk specifically a little bit to parents and grandparents. Because I know as a parent that you feel so much responsibility for your kids, their actions, the direction that they choose, all of that stuff. You feel this responsibility, this overwhelming responsibility for their education and their spiritual growth. And yet, you feel like you cannot do it all on your own. And you're not supposed to. That's why we have each other. I thank God every day that my kids have a math teacher because my second grade math level would not be good in teaching the kids how to do math. It wouldn't. You know, same with like English and, 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 and the, the language. See, I don't even do English. I speak American. That's what I speak. And it's not even American. It's American, right? It's not American. It's I speak American. That's what I do. Because we don't get to that level, right? So it's, it's important to have other people. And up here, I'm so thankful. Guys, I'm so thankful that we have a children's pastor and a youth pastor that love my kids. And that love your kids as well. I'm thankful for that. That those guys will put in the time and effort to help in the spiritual growth. To help. Now, they're not the centerpiece of it, but they help. They reinforce those things that hopefully all of us are teaching at home. You know, I've, I've read before that it requires five to seven really solid godly influences to build up your kid. Five to seven. Which is really interesting when you think about there's only two parents. And that's not in every situation, is it? That sometimes there's only one. But if you have two, you have to come up with three to five more godly influences in your kids' life to really push them in the direction that God has for them. That's amazing to me. So we were talking about this, you know, if you have two parents, you have a youth pastor, you have maybe grandparents that will get involved, aunts and uncles, things like that, that's awesome. But some of us aren't that fortunate we don't have all of those things in our lives. And so we have to have something else. And the reason I titled this, we are the village, is because when I was asking my wife what a modern village looks like, because it's interesting, isn't it? We talk about this idea that, that it takes a village to raise a child, but how many people know we don't really live in villages anymore? Like, we don't. So, I, you know, where, where Ruth and I live... It is a few miles outside of town, but we can get into town easy, and it's not like we're all hunkered down together and living in these huts and stacked on top of each other. So what does a modern village look like? I said, Ruth, what does a modern village look like? She said, the church. And I was like, duh. Why didn't I think of that? Second grade, Second grade math level. There it is. Well, duh, that's right. What's a modern village look like? It looks like the church. And the interesting thing about this is, guys, is that we can be influenced from hundreds of miles away in our culture today, can't we? I was reading a story about a woman whose husband went on a, 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 like a month-long trip to a foreign country. And she was alone with the kids, and she was a working mom, so she would go to work, she would pick the kids up, She would take them home. She would make dinner. She'd have to clean everything up, do laundry, and go to bed, and she was absolutely exhausted. And her sister-in-law, who lived 600 miles away, one day when she was going home, her sister-in-law ordered her pizza that was delivered to her door so that when she got there, the pizza was sitting there. She didn't have to make food. She didn't have to clean up food. So she got a night of rest. And she talked about how important and valuable that was to her. And I'm like, That's a village, a 600-mile-wide village right there where we're helping and being there for one another in our times of trouble. Ruth and I were talking about different stories last night on how people had really blessed and helped us in situations. There was one where I had an overnighter and was here with the youth group when I was doing youth ministry, and all of the kids and Ruth was sick. And her mom came down and stayed at our house And helped her clean up and did all the things that she could do. Cleaned up the puke, which was over and over and over again. You guys know how it is with sick kids. And took care of us and how there's a village right there. Helping in times of need. And we've been so blessed to have family. But we've been also so blessed to have a loving, caring church. A group of people that aren't necessarily family. That want to come together to build one another up. So let's look at David here. In the Old Testament, we can talk about this. 1 Samuel 22, 1-2. One, one and I only want to read these, these two scriptures because I love this section. David is running for his life. Saul is the current king. David is anointed to be the next king. David has killed Goliath. Uh, and people were praising him for that. Saul gets jealous. And he's chasing him around, and he's going to destroy his life. And so Jonathan, Saul's son, warns David, listen, my dad's going to kill you. You need to go. And so he takes off, and he's hiding. And in his hiding, this is what it said, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was in who was bitter in soul gathered to him and he became commander over them and there were with him about 400 men there are 400 distressed troubled bittered in soul men that gathered together with David who was a warrior by the way and out of that comes this group of guys that is described two times in the old testament We're going to turn to one of them. It's it's 2 Samuel 23, and it's David's 37 men. It's mentioned in Chronicles 11 as well, but we're going to read it in this section because it's a little bit shorter. So we got 23, 2 Samuel 23. And it's called David's mighty men. And there were 37 of them. And one of the things that I want us to see is, is the amazing things that these guys accomplished. And we don't talk about him much. In fact, we probably won't recognize any of the names. The only one that we hear about on a regular basis, Beniah, has books written about him. uh, But most of these guys are relatively unknown. Now, were these guys so powerful because they hung out with David who was a warrior? Or was David so powerful because he hung out with these guys who were warriors? Or was it both? And I think it's both. I think that these men... Fed off of each other and just were incredible dudes. And so we see this here, starting in verse 8, 2 Samuel 23, and it's 8 through 38, but I'm not going to read all that. You can, you can read it if you would like to. But it says, These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Josheb, this is going to be fun as we go through these names together. Josheb Bashshebeth. How would you like a name like that? Anyways, Attack a Mennonite. He was chief of the three. He wielded his spear against 800, whom he killed at one time. And next to him, among the three mighty men, was Eliezer, the son of Dodo, son of Ahoi. He was with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle. And the men of Israel withdrew. He rose and struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand. Clung, another version says froze to his sword and the lord brought about a great victory that day and men returned after him only to strip the slain so all the men run away and this guy remains and he fights off the philistines until he can no longer separate his hand from his sword this is a mighty man mighty man and they return to take the stuff that's left over Next to him was Shema, the son of Agi, the Herite. The Philistines gathered together at Lehi, and there was a plot of ground full of lentils, and the man fled from the Philistines. But he took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it and struck down the Philistines, and the Lord worked a great victory. And the three of the thirty chief men went down and came about harvest time to David at the cave of Adullam. That's where David was before. When a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephim, David was then in the stronghold and the garrison of the Philistines, and then at Bethlehem. And David said longingly, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem, that is by the gate. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem, that was by the gate, and carried it and brought it to David. But he would not drink it. He poured it out to the Lord. This, this part of the story, I'm like, pour, poured, he just poured it out to the Lord. I don't know, these three men, I would have been a little upset at this point. But they, they weren't. I mean, these were mighty men. They were not Andy. Anyways. So he, he poured it out, and he would not drink it. And he said, far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who went at the risk of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. These things the three mighty men did. Verse 18. Now Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zariah, the chief of the thirty, and he wielded his spear against three hundred men and killed them and won a name beside the three. And he was the most renowned of the thirty, and he became their commander, but he did not attain to the three. And Benaiah, the son of Jehoda, was a valiant man of Kabziel, a doer of great deeds. He struck down two aerials of Moab. He also went down and struck down a lion in a pit on a day when snow had fallen. And he struck down an Egyptian, a handsome man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but Benaiah went down to him with a staff and snatched the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. These things did Benaiah the son of Jehoah, and won the name beside the three mighty men. He was renowned among the 30, but he did not attain to the three. And David sent, set him over his bodyguard. Now, I, I, I want to stop there, but you guys can keep reading on. There's 37 of these guys that out of this group with David, they rise together and they become mighty warriors. And I think this is so neat, how these guys just kind of fed off of one another. And we hear about, and, and if you uh, read the, the, the Bible at all, you hear about David's exploits all the time. And these guys, they, they, they're relatively unknown. They're mentioned a couple of times in scripture. And these exploits that they do are amazing. But I think the reason that David was so powerful is because he had a village himself. David was not alone out in the wilderness running from Saul. He had 400 men. He was not alone when he took on the Philistines. He had these 37 warriors. And it's so cool how it's broke down, just like with Jesus in the New Testament. He had his one, his three, his 12. So did David in the Old Testament. He had his one who was the warrior that stood beside him. He had his three. Then he had more. He had 37 in all that stood with him. Now, I think in my life, I look at that and, and, and I just start asking these questions like, who, who's my one? Who's my three? Do I have three men that I can really count on and call on that can be a warrior beside me? And so it's important for us to actually have this village as well. And it's not going to look the same, right? It's a modern village. It's not where we're all stuck in this small, tight place together. It's a modern village and we have to kind of change our minds. Onto what that looks like. And we need to develop it in our lives. Because here's the thing that we are taught. We are taught the same thing that that woman was taught in the TED Talk. That independent self-reliance and control are going to lead you down a path of strength and empowerment. And you can do it. We're taught to buck up. We're taught to work harder. And what we are rarely taught, rarely taught, is that it takes a village and that you need to get other people involved. What we are rarely taught is to put ourselves down and allow other people to come around and lift them up. We're rarely taught to go that direction. We're rarely taught to not look out for number one, but to really be selfless in that and to push others along in love and good works. We're rarely taught to get involved with one another so that we can build one another up and that we can move very, very strongly together. In a path that God has for us. If you want to win a battle, why don't you go with an army? Like, why would you go by yourself? If you want to win a battle, you alone, that's going to be tough. But you with hundreds, that might be a little bit better. And if you read after 1 Samuel 22, these 400 men who were described as, you know, desolate, downtrodden men... They defeat different groups of the Philistines. They go around and they become basically the protectors of Israel. And I think that's just so awesome and powerful. Church, I don't know where you're at. Maybe you would be described the same as these, as in debt, bitter, in spirit. I don't know. But listen, we can be the protectors of our community as well. We can be the gatekeepers. We can stop the stuff that we don't need in our lives, and we can get it out as long as we will be Together in this. And so we say it takes a village, but we don't live in a village. We want to talk about what modern traits of a modern village look like. Because the truth is, our culture's not the same as it was then. We're not living in a cave together, all, you know, 400 of us like they were. We're not living in a cave. Thank God we're not living in a cave together. Thank God we have indoor plumbing. But the principle remains the same, that we all have to have a village in our life. So let's talk about what it takes. It takes a change in your mind. It takes renewing your mind and changing your mind. You have to have a mindset change from what culture has taught us to what the scripture shows us. That we are to be together in our callings. That there are many members but one body. And the members have different functions, but they work together in one body with one spirit and one head, which is Jesus. That's what the Bible tells us. And if we can do that together, if we can learn to grab a hold of the mission that God has together, united, we can do some amazing things. And so it takes a mindset change. So you believe that you don't have to do it on your own. You need to grab a hold of that. I don't have to do this on my own. You know, I was talking to my wife a little bit yesterday about this as I was going through my notes. And I asked this one question right here that I found online that somebody asked. And I thought, this is just, this is a question right here. Because it hit me like a ton of bricks. They said, how would your life change if you believed that there were caring, loving people all around you watching your kids instead of predators. And and I, I don't like that word predators, but that was what it said, so that's what I'm using. You see, and, and I and I read a Facebook post the other day from a, a young woman that I went to school with, and she said she misses the time when she was a kid where she was able to ride her bike around town and all that stuff until the, the night lights came on, and then she just made her way home and all that freedom. And now she can't even send her kids outside because of all of the predators that are out there. And then this guy posted after that the stats in how we are much safer today than we were then. But see, we're so aware and afraid of the predators. And that's our mindset that we can't let our kids go anywhere because it's dangerous. And we're afraid of danger. And we don't even want them to go to school because it's dangerous and we're afraid. And we don't want them to go out with their friends because it's dangerous. And they might get stuck somewhere. We don't want them to ride their bike down the street because it's dangerous. And statistically, I guess that's wrong. That it's safer now than it's ever been. But we're more afraid now than we've ever been as well. And I was like, what would my life look like? And this is just me, church. That question hit me. If I thought that there was a whole bunch of loving, caring people looking out for my kids as opposed to having a fear of predators and danger, it would look a lot different. But see, this is where it's at, church. We, we haven't learned to trust each other, to, to, to come together and to work together. We haven't grabbed a hold of this idea that I don't have to do it all on my own. We haven't grabbed a hold of this idea That it takes a village. In fact, we've gone the opposite direction. Where we've tried to suck it all in and tried to hold it all back. And we live this life of fear where our kids can't go out and even play. And that's, that's just scary sometimes. But we see that and I had that question. And I thought, man, that is a question to ask right there. But church, there are people, and I want to tell you this right now. There are people, and I know several of them, that love your kids, that care about your kids, that are watching your kids even right now, that want your kids to know the truth of the gospel and the saving grace of Jesus. There are all kinds of people out there that want that for your kids. I hope that we can learn to keep our eyes on them and not be afraid constantly of the predators. But anyways, that starts with a mindset. Mindset. A modern village starts with vulnerability. And that's the second thing that I have here. uh, uh, Brene Brown, who does a lot of talks, uh, TED Talks on vulnerability, says, Vulnerability is the birthplace of empowerment. I also got another quote, and I couldn't remember who did it, but she said, Get comfortable being vulnerable, ironically. Because vulnerability is not comfortable, but we need to be comfortable being vulnerable. What does that mean, church? That means that we have to be willing to open our world up to other people. That means that people are going to have to see our homes a mess. What? How is that possible? That means that people, we're going to have to let them in, and they're going to have to be a part of the messes that are our life. If we really want a village to help us along, then we have to be willing to admit our weaknesses, don't we? Like, hey, I'm I'm struggling with this. I need your help. That requires vulnerability, and that's a trait that we don't like to have. Let's move on, real quick. What else does it take? A modern village takes courage. See, you have to be willing to ask for help. My dad used to always say, "If you always did, if you always do what you always did, you'll always get what you always got." Anybody ever heard that saying before? you always do what you always did, you always get what you always got. And and if you're like me and you want to take steps forward with your family and relationships and all those things, it's going to require courage. You have to step out of your comfort zone. You know, that's one of the reasons we do connecting groups or our small groups. We do them so that people can sign up and get connected with one another. We do it because we believe that it's important. We don't do it because we feel like we Just want to have another ministry running at the church. We do it because we believe that you need people in your life if you want to be as effective as possible. We have to learn, and this is uncomfortable, to recruit our village. Hey, do you want to go out to lunch together? Your family want to come over and hang out with my family? I mean, there are situations that might not be super comfortable, but if you're going to just hide, then you will never have the village that it takes to be effective as you want to. It takes courage to have a modern village. What else does it take? Generosity. It takes generosity. Everybody contributes in a modern village. You can't always take, you can't always complain. You have to learn to be giving and encouraging. Because, see, this is how it works. It's reciprocal. We work together to build one another up. That's what we do. It's not one runs at it all. It's that together we are the body of believers. And the last thing that I have, number five here, before we move on, is it is not void of self-improvement. Okay? Just because a village is important doesn't mean that you get to ignore yourself, that you don't have to work and improve yourself. One of the things that uh, was a quote that I read online is, your vibe attracts your tribe. That's what they said, your vibe attracts your tribe. And in that, they were stating that you have to be what you want your village to look like and other people will come along with you. And so what what I was trying to say with this is that just because it, it takes a village doesn't mean we don't have to do our part and that we're constantly needing to grow as individuals. Yes, we have to change our mindset. Yes, we have to have courage and vulnerability and generosity Those things are important in us to really, really make this happen. My wife said as we were talking about this, you don't want to be the village idiot. I was like, that's true. (laughs) That's true, isn't it? You don't want to be the village idiot. That means that there is constant self-improvement that needs to happen to really make a village successful. All of us have to grow. And as we grow together towards Jesus, we're getting closer to one another and able to build one another up. It's super important. So church, this is an important day. This is a day, and, and we do this twice a year usually. We, we, we talk about kids and our kids ministry. We get them up and we pray for them. And today we're going to do the same thing. We're going to finish off with prayer for our kids and generations behind us. It's not just our kids, but it's generations. And we're going to do generational prayer. And I have asked, because I believe in prayer so much. Don't you guys? That, that prayer is valuable and important. And so I have asked Bruce and Diane to come on up and pray, and I've asked Mike and Nikki Lewis to come on up and pray as well. And what we're going to do is they're going to pray for their generation and the generation behind them. And then I'm going to pray for my generation, and I'm going to pray for all of our kids as we dismiss. And so we want to do this together, church. So we're going to pray and take this time uh, to do this. I'm going to make sure this is on. Bruce, go ahead and lead us in some prayer. So let's bow our heads together, and we're just going to pray for the generations.
1: Thank you, Father, that you know us. You know where we're at, Father. Thank you that you're at work in us both to will and to do of your good pleasure, Father, I just ask that you'll continue to work in us, deal after us, Father, because you love us, and Lord, you want you want to see us mature and to take ground for your kingdom's sake, Father. We just. Uh, I thank you that you are working us. <coughs> Lord, we need you. Mm. We need each other, Lord. Waken us to your heart. Deal with us, Lord. Thank you for it. For your goodness and your faithfulness toward us. Lord, Lord we ask you to uh, continue to Awaken us in an area and times that we need to be awakened. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you, Lord.
2: Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father our generation has seen such great outpourings of your Holy Spirit. Mm. We've witnessed so many amazing things, and yet throughout our lifetime, we seem to somehow lay those things down, and we repent, Father, for taking on discouragement, Mm. disappointments, frustrations, hurts, Lord, and it has kept us as a generation of moving and helping the Generations behind us to step into those places. Father, we ask for another outpouring of your Holy Spirit. I want my grandchildren and my children to experience the outpourings that we have experienced, Lord Jesus. We ask, Father, that you just come in a mighty way. Pour out your Spirit upon all generations, Father. Thank you, Lord. I ask that you'd help my generation to step up to the plate and be all that you created us to be and not to lay down those things that you've called us to do but to do it with much more fervor and we thank you for your grace that's upon that lord and thank you
3: father we we lift you up father and father we come before you for the for our generation, those in our 50s, nearing our 50s, Father, and the middle age, Father, and Lord, we lift up, uh, we ask that you help us to not look backwards at our, our past mistakes and, and maybe the accomplishments that we didn't, we didn't get done, Father, but help us to look forward to the new opportunities to serve you and to, uh, and to uh, encourage our families, Father, and to just uh, grow closer to you, Lord, Father. Father, I pray that you you strengthen uh, our marriages uh, in this generation. Father, as our our families are changing, um, our homes are are becoming quieter. Father, as our children are moving out and starting their own families, Father, we pray that you just uh, uh, reconnect spouses, Father, in a in a new way, a fresh way, Father. That you just uh, just uh, renew marriages, Father. And Father, we also pray for our our children. as they're starting their 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 lives on their own, Father, starting families, uh, having their own children, getting married, Father, and Father, we pray that you help us to be um, encouragers and wise counselors for those for that that generation, Lord. And Father, we ask that you give us an opportunity to mentor somebody in that generation,
4: Father. Father, we come before you today to pray for the next generation also, wherever they may be in their life. I ask for wisdom for the parents of um, junior high agers, high school age kids. Um, Direct them as they release these children into the independence that they've trained them for. Strengthen these relationships that even though they are changing, that they will grow, grow stronger and they will last for a lifetime. Let them rest in the confidence of your promise that if they raise these children up in the way that they should go, not in the way of the neighbor's child or the relative's child, but in the way that they should go, that they will not depart from you. I pray that you would give them wisdom for each day and lead them to others that can speak into the lives of their children.
0: I want to explain this to you real quick. We have grandparents, we have empty nesters, and then we have myself with kids at home. And so I want to pray, of course, for those kids at home and parents with young kids at home as well. So, Father, we just thank you for what you have done here today. We praise you for these guys' hearts. And, Lord, we we lift it up to you, Lord. We know that um, you are the head, you are the chieftain of our village. And so, Lord, we look to you always for the answers. Uh, for the things that are, are to come. And Lord, we ask that you would continue to lead parents of young kids. And Lord, that you would get this uh, in their minds, this idea that they, they don't have to do it all on their own. Lord, that they can ask for help and that they can be a help. And Lord, we know that uh, the generation above is the one that's going to have to build the bridge for the generation behind. We also know that their ceiling can be the next generation's floor. And, Lord, I pray that we will be pillars for those people coming up behind us, that we can lift them up always and that they can build and grow on top of what we were able to do. And, Lord, we look to them and we are excited about them and the future that they have. Lord, we don't want to see all the doom and gloom that is out there in our world. We want to see the hope that we have in our young people because we know that they can be strong and that they can be successful and they can be just full of your Holy Spirit and they can move Mightily in a new way with your gospel. And we are excited about that and we don't want to squelch that. Lord, your word says to not look down on people because they are young. But Lord, we don't want to do that. We don't want to look down on them because they're young, but we know that they can set an example for us in, in faith in love and purity. And we look to them for that. And we're excited about that. Be with our kids, Lord, as they develop into your ministers of your gospel. Lord, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church. Yep.
2: Hello. There we go. So this week I was listening to a teaching and it just gripped me really hard started weeping, and the Lord started speaking to me, and it's just so funny, I get so excited when I see how God works, because everything that Andy preached today, everything that's happening today just goes right with what God laid on my heart, so in this teaching, Francis Francis Chan was talking about his congregation praying for him for 90 days, and just the change that it made in his life. And so I thought, wow, that's really cool. What would that do in our body? And so I just felt it was really cool because we have Moving Up Sunday today. And Andy was talking about um, pancake syrup running down his beard. Mm. And all of a sudden, the Lord spoke to me about my favorite scripture, which is Psalm 133. And it says, behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, but we're going to say Andy. <laughs> running down on the garment, edge of his garments, it is like the dew of Hermon, descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing. What would happen, yeah, what would happen if we joined together for 90 days and just pray for our pastors? You know, they're human. They have discouragements. They have disappointments. They have a lot of weight that they carry. They feel very lonely. But when we pray together in unity as a body, as our tribe, you know, coming together under Andy and Sean and Eli, you know, God will command a blessing. So we have a calendar outside on a table. So I just ask you to pray and ask the Lord what day you would be willing to pray and fast for your pastors
0: all right let's stand together church we are so thankful for our tribe god has blessed us in so many ways with so many loving caring people and we're thankful for you guys father we praise you for this day that we get to just uh, be a part of of your kingdom and what you're doing lord we continue to think about and care about that next generation behind us Lord, we love that we have a children's ministry and a youth ministry. And we're, we're thankful for our kids. We're thankful that they're active and they bring life to, to our church. Uh, and we love that. Lord, we give you all the praise for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, God bless you. You're dismissed. Have a wonderful Sunday.